In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about managing your identity and reputation online. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. So when are you going to start that podcast? It's my wife, and she's looking at the stuff I've bought over the span of about a year. I'd gotten the microphones, a digital recorder, a couple boom arms, a few cables, but I'd not pulled the trigger. I think I was scared to get started. I'd had a couple ideas I could pursue. One idea was taking the car conversations my older son Jake and I had had for years. We'd have to do something like go to the eye doctor, and Jake would sit down and ask, Okay, Dad, why do some people freak out about celebrating Christmas? And we'd talk about who Jesus was and what days were and weren't important, and why it was a big deal to some people. They were odd questions from Jake, but I began to see how they were questions that served as a backdrop to growing up spiritually. I mean, a question like Christmas lends itself well to making good decisions about priorities and what it really meant to offend someone or when people were simply trying to manipulate your choices. And that's a larger conversation about how you treat other people. I loved those car conversations and I knew how they worked. A second idea had to do with using digital tools to do Christian stuff. I know many people who look at things like social media and love sounding the alarm. Some go to great lengths to talk about how their absence from Facebook is some kind of badge of honor. By the way, it makes no difference to me what social platforms anybody uses, if they use them at all. I think many have mistaken my support of digital discipleship as a way to get more people online. My position is the people are already there. So if you're looking for the town square... Fire up your computer and take advantage of where they already are. But if that's not the tool you work best with, then use the one that makes more sense to you. However, as a communication professor, I recognize the reaction to these digital tools as very similar to the reaction to writing and books and radio and television. It's the same story. I've read many times about internet addiction, but substitute television for internet and you could have read the same stories 30 years earlier. I saw the connection pretty clearly, and I knew I was in a unique position to talk about that. I was someone who was both old enough to remember a time before the internet, but not so old I wouldn't give it a chance. So I had at least two angles for the podcast. But I was nervous. The questions I wouldn't say out loud were, who was I to be talking about this stuff? And then, if I made it, Who would listen? So when are you going to do that podcasting thing? My wife asked again. I'm thinking June, I said. It turned out to be June 20th. The world I would enter on June 20th was one I still don't really understand very well, but I'm beginning to recognize everyone is now a part of it. I am proud to call myself a digital media influencer. What that means is I'm consciously trying to build a community of people around the podcast and my website to get some things done. I'm trying to grow this. I have things like download goals and production goals and several things which help gauge how successful or unsuccessful I am at this. But most of you aren't consciously digital media influencers. You don't have your own podcast. You you don't have a blog or a website. You, You don't have a YouTube channel or an Instagram page with hundreds of thousands of followers. 
You like checking up on your friends on social media occasionally. You like to find good deals by price comparing. And it's always fun to find a Groupon for something you'd like to try. But blatant self-promotion? Yeah, just not interested. But I would still argue you are very much an influencer. And your influence didn't start with digital platforms, but it sure is amplified by it. If you use social media platforms like Facebook or Instagram, what you say makes a difference. You might be taken out of context, but your influence is definitely felt. What you like, what you visit, what you buy, what you support, what you contribute to, where you've been, what restaurants you've tried can be found by a group of people who follow you. They want to know how your experience was, and they're happy to use your experience to influence their decisions. You may not have intentionally wanted to convince someone to go to that restaurant that wasn't particularly good, but people are noticing your trail. And if you don't use social media platforms, your preferences are likewise tracked. The idea you can simply opt out of sharing your experiences doesn't work. If you've ever had an opinion that you have shared with someone at some time, you're influencing others. If you ever made a choice other people see, you're an influencer. Back in the late 90s, I remember arguing with students about the influence of the television show Friends. You didn't need to watch the show to think about having the Rachel haircut or hanging out at a coffee shop. The influence was already there, even if your eyeballs weren't. As Christians, we should have an understanding about the importance of our influence. We have always known that we can be an influence on others by what we choose to do. In 1 Peter 3, Peter talks about how wives with unbelieving husbands can influence them without saying a word. Jesus would tell his followers to be an example to those around them in John 13. In the mountain message, Jesus would tell us to be the light and salt to those around us in Matthew 5. In many ways, influences is one of our main currencies. And online platforms are ripe to use that influence because of their ability to share quickly and widely. I'd like to suggest there are three parts to our online influence we need to both monitor and control as much as we can. First, we need to take charge and intentionally defend our identity. Second, we need to monitor the image we have. And finally, we need to have mechanisms in place to keep ourselves grounded in God. So, who are you? That's a question I often ask my freshmen, and it's one of the hardest questions they have to answer. As we get older, our identities are often defined by the roles we occupy. You're a mom, a wife, a sister, an employee, a husband, a father, a son, a Star Wars enthusiast, and ultimately, a Christian. There's absolutely nothing wrong with any of these roles, and there's a lot right about letting these roles dictate what we become. But you don't do all parts of these roles well. So if you're a Christian, you may not be the best Bible student, but you are very generous. You are an encourager or something else. In other words, there are parts of Christianity where you do really well, and there are parts you either outsource or just need work. Those skills and talents start defining who you are. They are the unique contribution you make as a Christian, and they help give you a foothold on your identity. Identity is the thing under our control. Look, if you decide to become a wife or a husband, that's your choice. Likewise, if you choose to be a good wife or a husband, 
is also a choice, not an accident. Your identity is the thing you tried to be. If we were talking about business, we would be talking about your brand. What is your brand promise? What should those around you be able to expect? Especially online, what can people expect to hear from you? Who do you choose to surround yourself with? What do you choose to pursue? How do you choose to pursue it? For a moment, think about your favorite online influencer. My guess is you could pretty easily summarize who they are. For example, I'm a fan of a guy named Robert Morales or Traveling Robert. He has a YouTube channel and a podcast and a website, TravelingRobert.com. His tagline is free in my RV. You'll never guess what he does. He travels around the country in his mini Winnebago, making long-form travel documentaries for YouTube and podcasting about his travels. I've interviewed him for my classes, and he's just delightful. I know a lot about his rig, his travels, and the travel struggles he has because he intentionally shares that on all his platforms. But what I couldn't tell you is his political affiliation, his medical condition, his financial opinions, his views on peanut butter, or any other facts that aren't things he shares. He is intentionally trying to inspire me to travel, and he's doing a pretty good job. As Christians, how do you want to influence those around you? What do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? What is the promise you want to make to those around you as they come in contact with you? Let me suggest a few. Maybe you want to promise those around you that you'll be kind or good or promote peace or joy. Maybe you want to inspire more faithfulness or help others love more. Or maybe you want to promise to help others to be more patient or help harness their self-control. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. Those are the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And those aren't bad things to be known for. By the way, I've taken on goodness is what I'm trying to promote. I hope you've noticed that at the end of every episode, every time someone comes in contact with me, I want them to understand goodness a little better. Okay, but just because these are what you have chosen for your identity doesn't mean that's what they really think. In episode 35, I talked to my cousin Craig Embry, and he reminded me of something we all know. Everyone has a reputation and image. The congregation you attend already has a reputation in the community where it is. The neighbors, other Christians, current and former members already have a phrase they use to describe that congregation. As a professor, I know the students sign up for classes partially based on the degree requirements, but largely because of the reputation of the professors who teach it. Some will get reputations for being unusually difficult or easy, understandable or difficult to understand. These reputations may be unwarranted, but they are still there. And you need to know what people think about you before they have even met you and what obstacles you may need to overcome. The beauty of digital tools is discovering your reputation has become much easier. If you're part of a congregation, Yelp and Google reviews will often give you a snapshot of what others think about your church. Just like you might want to check those sources for a new restaurant, people are using the same tools to see what they think about what's going on in your church. If you want to see what others think about you personally, start doing a little work on Google or social media 
to see where your name pops up. For example, as of this episode, I have 21 reviews about the podcast, all five stars, every single one. And that's kind of exhilarating. I recognize almost all the names. There's my cousin, Kevin Hansen up in Cincinnati, my friend Denise out in Colorado, or my good friend, Darren Gertis, all five stars. That's kind of cool. But you also know that your reputation and image may be tarnished by some haters or people who simply don't understand you. Jesus rarely went anywhere where all his listeners understood everything he said. Wherever he went, his image preceded him. He was known as a good teacher, as a healer, as a worker of miracles. But many also thought of him as a political operative, as a threat to Rome, as an earthly king, or as someone very dangerous. Some of those characterizations were accurate and many were not. eBay has done a lot with reputation management. Those numbers after someone's name tell you how many good experiences people have had with them, and that's powerful. You want to know you're dealing with someone others think is honest, honorable, and trustworthy. In my opinion, every group of people, including congregations, need to do something like a focus group to see what people really think about what's going on. You will never please everybody. But you need to decide whose criticism counts. When we choose the parts of our identities we want to promote, there are often unintended consequences to the choices you make. Most of us have been part of a Facebook conversation that went sideways. You said something you thought was innocent, but someone took it the wrong way. In situations like that, reaching out privately often makes a lot of sense. The image that you have isn't always good. And you need to know that. Look, your image isn't in your control, but it is under your influence. If I'm trying to promote goodness, I need to try to both be good and do good and have them understand that well. As people get to know me more, hopefully they get to like me more. And ultimately, they begin to trust me more. As people get to know you, they should do the same. When you are known, liked, and trusted, you have a powerful influence in your community. And that's a great thing. But it can also be a dangerous thing. Until now, I've been talking about identity and image in both online and face-to-face contexts. The difference between the two is how quickly gaining an audience and building a community can happen. And I think that's wonderful. With simple tools, you can help be a voice for making positive change around you. Look, I've said many times, I want this podcast and whatever I do to drive you closer to God. But the danger in digital tools is when they become the end thing. I remember years ago watching the Biography Channel. (laughs) I've stopped watching because most of the stories were exactly the same. Someone does something which makes him very popular. He becomes a name most people recognize. He lets the fame finance a self-destructive lifestyle, which often includes infidelity, a drug addiction, expensive houses and cars, and ultimately, he finds himself at rock bottom, having to reinvent his career, or he can't get his act together, and dies broken, and oftentimes broke. Put in the names you want. Dennis Rodman, Burt Reynolds, Gary Coleman, Whitney Houston, Nicolas Cage. The list goes on. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes about his importance in the church. He talks about how people would often follow him or a favorite preacher instead of following Jesus. In verse 5, he wrote, 
What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Look, influence is power, pure and simple. And online tools give you a lot of influence. So choose to use it well by building good relationships with it and then pointing them where they belong. You don't get to decide whether or not you have influence online. You do whether you like it or not. I understand why you might be reluctant to say that. Because you're not that good. You're a sinner. You do dumb stuff and you'd love that not to be broadcast. Then be less than perfect. Talk about how God fixes your problems. Give credit to the one who makes everything right. I have a loving wife who frankly doesn't listen to my podcast and that's fine with me. She just doesn't like podcasts. She asked me to do stuff like the laundry and take out the trash, get the ice maker fixed, and a thousand other little things that really make me a better servant. She helps ground me. In Luke 22, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Let me say that again. The creator of the universe, the one who lived a sinless life, the one who deserves worship and adoration, served. He still serves. You're not that important. And Jesus serves you. No influencer is really all that important, me or anybody else. In business, we talk about bringing value to your audience. As a Christian, you understand you can bring a lot of value to your audience by bringing them to Christ. So break down the ego, because in comparison to Jesus, you're not that good. Love others the best you can. Share the struggles you work through on the platforms you have. And then point them to God. The secret of being digitally literate for your identity and reputation is to find who you will be online. Check to make sure you're keeping a good reputation. But in the end, remember, God is the one who makes you good. So, I started the podcast on June 20th. Almost a year later, I have a better handle on what I'm talking about and who I'm talking to. I knew who I'm trying to be for you. I have a pretty good idea how many people are benefiting from my journey. And hopefully, I've got a lot of people who love me, who keep me grounded and connected to God. What about you? How are you trying to influence those around you with the digital tools you use? How do you make them better? And how do you help show them who God is? Well, this week, the good thing I'm thinking about is my wonderful wife. This episode is being released on June 4th, my anniversary. Katie has been a wonderful wife and friend, and I'm so blessed she's in my life. Thanks, babe. Next week, I plan to share my interview with a hard-rocking Christian who lived the lifestyle and came to know Jesus. It was a wonderful interview with Keith Stonehart, and I'm thrilled to share that with you. So until next time, let's be good and do good.